I'm confident that the name uh, Matthew Henry is uh, familiar to, to many of us. We heard uh, words from him earlier in the Sunday school hour. He was uh, an 18th century uh, English preacher, a, a Puritan type. Uh, his commentary uh, continues uh, to, to this day to be one of the most popular uh, in history. Well, at a point in his life while he was living in London, uh, he was accosted. He was robbed. Uh, his wallet was, was stolen, stolen from him. And if you've ever had your car uh, broken into or something stolen from you or your house uh, burglarized, it can create a very uh, disturbing, kind of unsettling uh, feeling. Fear, anxiety, uh, anger, those are kind of natural feelings of, of response. Uh, at best, we would desire a sense of, of justice uh, in our minds. Uh, but the reflections of Matthew Henry after he was Rob might be most people's last thoughts. He wrote about this in his diary, in his journal, after the incident. And he, he wrote this, Let me be thankful first, because I was never robbed before. Second, because although they took my purse, my wallet, they did not take my life. Third, because although they took everything I had, it was not much. And fourth, because it was I who was robbed, not I who robbed. I don't keep a journal. It's never been a practice of mine. But I'm confident that if I did, I would probably not be writing uh, those words after having been robbed. Uh, But it's amazing what perspective uh, can do, what perspective some people have. After a loss, amidst a trial, during a very difficult situation in life. One person can be filled with anger or frustration. Another turns to the Lord and expresses and offers thanks and praise as they reflect upon it. Well, I want to draw our attention to a psalm of thanks this morning uh, as I'm in preparation over the next couple weeks preparing for our new sermon series through the book of Daniel. uh, This morning I turn our attention to Psalm 111. Psalm 111. I'll give you a moment to turn there. Psalm of praise and thanks. Let's give our attention to God's Word. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart, in the company of the upright, in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is His work, and His righteousness endures forever. He has caused His wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear Him. He remembers His covenant forever. He has shown His people the power of His works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of His hands are faithful and just. All His precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to His people. He has commanded His covenant forever. Holy and awesome is His name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Though this is a fairly straightforward psalm of praise and thanks, in order to 
rightly embrace and feel the depth and the weight of it, we really need the Lord to enlarge or expand our hearts. We really need to see how small uh, our hearts are at times. A small heart does not behold or see much of the greatness and the glory of God. A small heart is in a sense like buried in the ground. It doesn't see much of anything around it. But an enlarged and growing heart is one taken out of the ground and placed in a sense on top of a mountain peak. It sees much around. Psalm 119.32 I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. We can all imagine hiking in, in an area of great beauty, perhaps the Grand Canyon. But imagine your eyes are only fixed on the ground. You're only focusing on where you will place your next step on the path. We can live our lives that way, never stopping to look up and take in the beauty and the grandeur of what's all around. Not only in God's creation, but certainly in God's redemptive works. Well, the psalmist here, he's not only commanding there in verse 1, calling for people to praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. But in a way, he's telling himself and reminding himself to be one who gives praise and thanks to the Lord. As he says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. And certainly fitting to do so among the people of God in the congregation. This Psalm 111 is an acrostic. It's an acrostic psalm or poem. That is, after the opening words that command, praise the Lord, or hallelujah, it contains 22 lines corresponding to the 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. So the first word in each of the 22 lines begins with a successive letter in the Hebrew alphabet. Psalm 112 is also an acrostic. Each of them are the shortest complete acrostics in the book of Psalms, containing all 22 Hebrew letters. And the acrostic is a literary form. It's providing a pattern to help the worshiper and believer memorize the words. In this case, it's complete. It's all 22 letters. So it's also communicating completeness in the message. These two Psalms, 111 and 112, really go together. They fit nicely together. 111, as we've heard, focuses on Praise and thanks for the works of the Lord. It's very God-centered. It's all about the Lord and His character and His great works. One twelve focuses on man, the godly person. Together, the message is saying, you become like the God you worship. We hear these words all the time. Praise the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord. But it's often hard to cultivate a life and a heart of gratitude. If we were paying careful attention to the words that we speak, even over the course of just one day or maybe two or three days, we might be surprised, some of us, how many words come out of our mouths that are complaint, frustration, rather than words and attitudes of thanksgiving. That's part of what's behind the word thanksgiving or thankfulness. It's the ability to acknowledge the kindness of the giver. The ability to acknowledge the kindness of the giver. Being thankful can be hard. 
Life's problems can easily bring a dark shadow over our lives. Listen to these words. It would, it would surprise me to think that you woke up this morning saying, my, if I could just be a more thankful person, my life would be so much better. Lack of gratitude rarely presents itself as a source of our problems. We all face trials. We all face problems throughout our lives to varying degrees. Yet how much do we see that a central remedy to that is cultivating a heart of thanks? A thankful person, that, that's hard to break through that heart, to affect that heart. So how do I grow a heart for thanksgiving? Well, verses 2 to 9, which form the bulk of this psalm, give you the reasons for praise and thanks. And in this case, it's all about the Lord and His great works. Great are the works of the Lord, verse 2. Full of splendor and majesty is His work, verse 3. Verse 6, He has shown His people the power of His works. Verse 7, the works of His hands are faithful and just. If you step back, the context of this psalm seems to be God's redemptive work from the Exodus under Moses and his leadership through Joshua, the possession of the promised land. We think of the words of verse 4, the Lord is gracious and merciful as the occasion in which the Lord revealed his name to Moses in Exodus 34. The Lord, the Lord, Yahweh. Gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Gracious and merciful. Or verse 9, He sent redemption to His people. He has commanded His covenant forever. This is God's work of delivering His people out of slavery in Egypt. Establishing the covenant at Sinai. And then you have the possession of the promised land in verse 6. He has shown His people the power of His works, giving them the inheritance of the nations. So there's much in this psalm that points people to praise and thanks, from His works in redemption to His glorious splendor and majesty in creation, His awesome character mentioning His righteousness, His grace and mercy. But there's a key principle that this psalm draws out. It's a principle that must be at work in our lives and hearts to be people filled with thanksgiving and gratitude. It comes in verse 2. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. A thankful person delights in the works of God. So we have to ask ourselves, do we delight in the things of God, in the works that He has performed. Here's the principle. Delight leads to study. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. A number of you were at our house yesterday, uh, where our house sits in Vernon. It's up on a, a hill, Hatch Hill. And uh, we see some beautiful, beautiful sunsets. Dozens and dozens of them over the last three and a half years that we've been there. Uh, we didn't know that would be included in the purchase of the house, but we're thankful for it. 
Well, you can imagine one night uh, my wife uh, seeing through the window a majestic sunset, and she says, Will, come, come, you got to look at this. And I kind of reluctantly come over to the window. I kind of just give a look of indifference. Hmm. What would that reveal about the value I place on that object? Delighting in the works of God are necessary for cultivating a heart of thanks and praise. And the evidence of delight is study. And I don't mean just with the book, the Word of God open, though we we would want to include that. We know God's redemption and His work in creation because of what He's revealed in His Word but also to foster a heart and mind constantly and consistently attentive, acknowledging the glorious works and character of God. That word studied means to seek with care, to inquire, to investigate, to frequent. Those things in which we delight move us to careful attention. A mother with her infant child knows every birthmark, dimple, distinctive feature of her child's body. She's been attentive. She's examined. This psalm is telling us that thanksgiving comes from giving our attention to that which satisfies our souls, God and His glorious works. We know the Scriptures in several places tell us what we are not to look at what we are not to give attention to, and what we are to focus upon. In Genesis chapter 19, when God spared Lot and his family from the coming uh, destruction of Sodom, the angels spoke up and they urged Lot, saying, up, take your wife and family, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. Escape for your life. Don't look back or stop anywhere in the valley. And the Lord rained down sulfur and fire. And then it says, but Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. What you look at, what you give your life's attention to can kill you. It can discourage you. It can tear you down. Or it can give you life. It can build you up. It can restore you. And so the author of Hebrews, let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. J.C. Ryle said, Vagueness and dimness of perception are the defect of weak believers. They do not see clearly what they believe and why they believe. The psalmist is helping us where we are to give our attention, what we are to examine, what's to be before our hearts and our minds in our lives. So a heart of thanks comes from delighting in and focusing our life upon the glorious person and works of God. Of course, there's things we know that distract us, that attempt to disrupt our attention upon the Lord. Many of us are aware that the book of Psalms as a whole contains five sections made up of five different books, arranged and compiled over many years, authors from Moses to David, Solomon, from the Exodus period to the exile and beyond. The fifth book begins at Psalm 107. We heard it read. We had a responsive reading earlier in our service. 107. Among other things, 
the psalm expresses thanks for God's steadfast love in bringing His people out of exile back to a city in which to dwell. Those who return from the exile. God's power and grace in bringing His people back and restoring them. But not all was well and good. You turn a couple psalms later to Psalm 115, another post-exile psalm. And the surrounding nations are taunting the people of God. They're saying, where is their God? Psalm 115, verse 2. Where is their God? I wonder how the people were saying that. Perhaps in a tone of mockery. Where is their God? I don't see anything impressive about their God or His people. Maybe it's said in a sense of superiority. Where is their God? Where's the evidence? Maybe in a tone of self-righteousness or self-righteous zeal. Where is this God of theirs? This mean, bigoted, self-serving God. The point is, there are other voices and influences seeking to distract us all the time, cause us doubt, pull our attention away from the Lord, whose person and work alone can sufficiently satisfy us and therefore fill our hearts with gratitude. Nancy DeMoss, in her book, Choosing Gratitude, she identifies what she calls instigators of ingratitude. I'll mention two that she surfaces. One is unrealistic expectations. In this, a person begins to expect a whole lot from life, from work, from family, from other people. Until no matter what they're receiving by way of blessings, God's common graces, it's never as much as they were hoping for. It's not enough. Though they know they need the Lord, they're not always wanting the Lord, and they begin to focus and turn to others and other things to take the place of God in their lives, depending on others to provide for them emotionally, physically, socially, completely. And when those people or those things let them down, and they will, resentment or bitterness takes root. But if we look to Him who is unchanging, whose unchanging love and perfect faithfulness never fails. We're fixing our hearts upon that which alone can satisfy. Unrealistic expectations. The other instigator of ingratitude is forgetfulness. I think forgetfulness is a little bit tricky. For one, you don't realize you're forgetting something until it comes into your mind, at which point you're no longer forgetting. But two, to remember is more than being able to recall something. For example, if you're a believer, if you're a follower in Christ, and I were to ask you, what did the Lord Jesus do for you to redeem you? I'm confident you would be able to recall what our Lord did on your behalf. But to remember or recall that truth is not the same as living one's life in light of that reality, that truth. Uh, When the Lord in Deuteronomy particularly repeatedly spoke to Israel saying, when you enter the land, don't forget the Lord your God. Remember that you were a slave in Egypt. The Lord brought you out with a mighty hand. 
He was saying much more than simply be able to recall what God did for you when asked. No, orient your life around this truth. Keep this always before you. In Psalm 25, verse 7, the psalmist David says, According to your steadfast love, Lord, remember me. Remember me. Does the Lord forget His people? If someone were to ask the Lord, do you remember your people? Do you remember Will Snyder? Do you remember Mark Popovich? You can put your name there. How would the Lord respond? Well, let me think about that. Do I remember them? Hmm. Oh yeah, I do remember those guys. Yeah, almost forgot them. No, the Lord neither slumbers nor sleeps. He watches over your going out and your coming in. He's attentive to you. He knows you. You're ever before His mind. In our text of verse 4, He remembers His covenant forever. A person growing in thankfulness and gratitude for God and His goodness is one whose heart and mind is ever fixed upon the Lord. And the result of this is what you have in verse 10. The fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A grateful person is one who is fearing the Lord. They have a humility and reverence for God, recognizing this is the one who governs my life. They know whose they are in the Lord, those redeemed by Jesus Christ. That leads to wisdom. Skill in the art of godly living. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Let's pray together. Gracious God, how we praise You for who You are, a God full of faithfulness, righteousness, grace, and mercy. O Lord, You have performed great and wonderful works in Your creation and in redemption through Your Son, our precious Savior and Lord. We pray, O Lord, that You would cause the eyes of our hearts to be fixed upon what You have done and who You are. By Your grace and by the work of Your Spirit, cultivate that in us, that we would grow with hearts full of gratitude and thanksgiving. That we would grow in our ability from hour to hour to acknowledge the kindness of Your heart toward us who believe. Indeed, even Your kindness, the Scripture says, to the evil. Lord, we praise You and we worship You and we ask that You would fill us with thanks. For this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.